Hello and welcome to episode 243 of the Waters Waveland podcast. I'm your host, Weishan, and as usual, I've got Tony with me here today. Hey T, how's it going? Well, I intentionally waited to tell Weishan the story but uh, for the podcast, but uh, so I went out with uh, some PR folks on uh, Tuesday, and let me tell you, that hangover was not wonderful the next day, but... <laughs> The reason why I tell this is, and this is something I think that companies are going to have to really start thinking about here, is even if everybody's vaccinated, I got a uh, call from one of the PR people saying somebody that was there has tested positive uh, for COVID. And so it's like, ah, great. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's like, and so this person was very, very apologetic. I was like, there's no need to apologize. This is, we're all, we were all vaccinated. This is what the new normal is going to look like is you know, you, you, you're going to be vaccinated. People that you're going to encounter are going to come up um, with COVID. And uh, this person was asymptomatic. It was a rapid test, so it's possible it's a false positive. But now tomorrow, I'm going to have to go out, uh, get tested. I'm going to get tested once tomorrow, and then I'll get tested again oh, uh, uh, a week after uh, mm. we, had, we had, uh, went out. And uh, But I went out. The other thing is like, so I was out on Wednesday with one of my friends after that. Um, so yesterday, uh, as we're recording this. And so I had to tell him, hey, listen, this is what's going on. And, you know, the key is, I think, is people just, there's a stigma to getting COVID right now. And mm-hmm. if you're unvaccinated, yeah, you know, there's, I, I think there's a selfishness there. But, you know, whatever. I, I, to me, it's I, my, I've expressed my thoughts on that on this podcast so you know what they are um but we gotta realize is even if you're vaccinated it is possible still to get it and you might not show any symptoms of it it wasn't meant to completely cure covid it was just meant to make the to reduce the chances of getting it and to make the effects of getting covid much less um so i was i was very pleased that this person told me that this happened and we're honest about it because I think that there are a lot of people that they're like, they might test positive, but like, oh, I'm not going to tell anybody. Or they might, you know, for me, I might have heard this and I wouldn't go tell my friends or I won't even get tested and just be like, oh, I'll wait and see if I have any symptoms. But I'm not because I'm I'm worried about the stigma of it. It's like, just it's just how it is. It's OK. It's OK. You, you know, get COVID, you may not have any symptoms. You know, it's like just be honest with people, be open. And I think that that's uh I think that that's what we have to do, but that's probably a topic for another podcast that you know <laughs> you and I are just doing when we don't have a guest. But last week we had a, a great guest from State Street. Uh, this week we also have another outstanding guest. Uh, Shen did this interview. Shen, who who are we talking with this week? I mean, just before I get into that, I was actually going to ask a question, which would have led into a whole other conversation about COVID vaccination. Golly, I screwed it up. But. So we're going to leave that for another time because, another yes, time. it will take like an hour or something. But anyway. We, <laughs> so, can, yes. we can definitely talk. You, just you and I. That's, that's, not, that's never an issue. <laughs> right. We have uh, Jeff Harrell. He's the group head of innovation at the London Stock Exchange Group, who has joined the podcast for this week. And we talk a little bit about the rebrand, you know, post um, uh, LSEC's uh, acquisition of Refinitiv. 
how that has changed things at the labs itself. And, you know, we talk about the ideation process. And then we touch on uh, an interesting report that they came up with uh, recently, their um, AI ML report for 2021. And one of the key takeaways from that report or highlights was that deep learning is now the favorite type of AI ML. Um, it's, a, it's a controversial yeah. statement. Interesting. Uh, I, I, I can't wait to listen to this interview myself. This is going to be great. Yeah, uh, we had we had a lot of fun. So like, and we we talk about some of the projects that uh, the labs is actually working on right now, and and what they will prioritize in the near future as well. So have a Sounds have a listen. Awesome. Can't wait. Right. And now I'm joined by Jeff Horrell. He's the Group Head of Innovation at the London Stock Exchange Group. Hi, Jeff. Welcome on the podcast. How are you? Hey, Wishin. I'm very well. Thanks for having me on the podcast today. Great. Uh, it's good to have you. Uh, just before we start things, if you, for those that don't know me and listening in, perhaps if you could give uh, maybe a brief introduction of yourself and the remit that you cover at LSEC. Sure. So, uh, as you said, I'm Group Head of Innovation uh, and I manage our uh, our global labs uh, team. So the labs team is an innovation function that looks to identify strategic opportunities uh, together with our uh, business divisions and our customers uh, to find new ways to do things um, and, you know, sort of help uh, advance, um, you know, the financial markets in that in that way. Uh, we also help to support innovation more broadly across uh, the group, across ELSIG, by connecting the different pockets of, of innovation and, and teams who want to understand more about how they can apply innovation techniques and approaches. Um, and we also help share, we're very open, uh, we share a lot of what we do uh, with our clients and with the market, because uh, we really believe in that in that openness um, and, and as a way for the kind of financial markets to, to evolve. So. I guess, you know, we do that. We build projects, we help innovation internally, and we share everything that we're doing with our with our clients. Hmm, interesting. So I, I do know that uh, because I've actually had one of your previous, uh, one of your colleagues, um, uh, Sanjana, who was at the time uh, under Refinitiv Labs in Singapore. She came on the podcast one time. Um, so post-acquisition, which has now been completed, I think, end of January this year. Uh, how has the rebranding process been? And in terms of the, uh, I guess, the strategy, uh, you know, combining these two labs together, you know, um, how do you see that moving forward? Uh, what has changed? So I guess the thing that has changed is that, you know, we're not just uh, a data and analytics uh, business, but we also have a capital markets business with you know, London Stock Exchange and Turquoise and um, uh, TradeWeb and, and, you know, our FX business there. So fantastic market infrastructure, right, mm. which which is um, really a real focus on that. Okay. Um, we also have our post-trade division with, you know, London Clearinghouse and uh, Univista and so on. And, and really, the lab's remit is now expanded to, hey, well, look at those business divisions, those areas and say, well, what, what innovation is already happening there? Uh, understand that, get to know those businesses, and then say, you know, where can, uh, as a group labs function, where can we help? So, for example, in our post-trade division, we're looking at some, doing some more data science and analytics um, as they sort of try and, try and develop some new kind of business areas uh, there in post-trade. And on capital markets, again, a lot of great innovation already, you know, happening there. 
um, but we're using a bit more of our innovation process that we have within our labs on a couple of projects in particular digital assets and so I guess it's an expansion of our remit to think about those other other divisions um, but it's also really exciting to connect with people doing innovation who are at you know heritage um, at LSEG and then sort of connect up um, all these elements together and see where some of the things that we do we did at Refinitiv, some of the data and data science elements, how that can maybe help areas that haven't been as data focused, more infrastructure focused. So bringing these two things together is, is kind of exciting. And we've been very busy uh, learning new things. I guess any innovation team wants to learn new stuff. So we've been it's been amazing to learn like all the all the new things that we can all the new things we can play with um, uh, in the other business divisions. OK, I mean, could you give uh, could you give us some examples of how that, you, as you mentioned, bringing that data, that uh, the, the data capabilities and innovation in that space, and now coupling that with the infrastructure that obviously LSEC has and is very uh, has a very strong hold in. Um, you know, how have you been able to? Uh, what what areas within that have you like identified that you can kind of uh, you can kind of like um, I guess put together and you know uh, yeah, are there specific examples? Yeah, sure. Give me an example. So, for example, in our post-trade business, where we're doing some work uh, looking at the repo market uh, and and you know settlement in the repo market is is particularly challenging, um, and there's a very high failure rate in the European repo market. So we're looking at you know other ways we can help our customers there who are, who are, who are struggling with that. And one of the great things is that we we've got really good analytics environments. That we can sort of run and test and, and, and simulate what's happening and, and we're looking at that and we can also bring in all of the historical time series that we have on the refinitive side you know tick history uh for all these different uh, uh, fixed income markets we have that data and we can go well let's here's what happened in settlement but here's what was happening around the trade uh you know previously uh, and sort of bring these two things uh, bring these two things together so that's that's an example in post and I think in cap markets, it's um, again there was a great innovation work already already happening, um, but when it came to like what do we do next, like these ideas, the labs is able to kind of we're a full time team, so we can pick up some innovation ideas, and then sort of give it sort of arms and legs. So we're running a lot of customer validation, and how how to run interviews, how to run user experience testing, uh, which we've got a lot of experience in was the capital markets team really experienced in in the infrastructure side but hadn't done as much to develop a new business line in terms of that that, that, that sort of um, the approach that we take around user experience so in that case you know, we bring in different skills uh, uh, there so yeah th those are those are some some interesting examples and then in, in, you know looking at our digital asset strategy crypto strategy um, uh, for cap markets Hmm, okay, and in, in terms of that, the the ideation uh, that you were talking about earlier, uh, and you did mention that you are a full time team. Uh, you know, how does that happen? Could you walk, perhaps walk me through the process of you know uh, the team perhaps coming up with an, an idea or something that they see that perhaps uh, could work, it, you know, to your clients' benefit or even to uh, benefit you guys internally in terms of the processes that you have I mean yeah walk me through that process sure so I, I wish it was a lovely linear uh, process um, <laughs> and sometimes we put it in a, in a nice uh, presentation and show it as a linear process but really it starts with uh, 
being aware of what your innovation ecosystem is. So we've got uh, business units who are like really know what they want to do and, and they come to us with particular challenges. Um, we also spend a lot of time with our customers and with our, our, our sales team and say, hey, you know, here's the customers have these particular challenges and or this is what they're doing. So that kind of feeds into our, our knowledge base. And then we also have, we sit with labs who actually sit within our strategy function. So our divisional and group strategies are looking at like where are the big opportunities, um, you know, where's the market growing and trying to identify those strategic areas that we should be focusing in. And so in our ideation process, we kind of put all of that together to say, you know, where's the right strategic area? Where's a good opportunity for that's a good fit for our business? And where's a good fit where we're going to be able to get access to customers to test and validate ideas? So when those three things kind of align, um, we'll then go, okay, what's the, the, the is there something from a, uh, is there a hypothesis there that we can test around the market, around user experience, around data science, around uh, technology, uh, go to market? And then we decide, right, is this a good fit for, for labs? So that ideation process, we run and we look at all aspects of uh, uh, the business, not just the technical aspects, but the other things as well. And then we go with those ideas and we say, right, this is this is our choices. Uh, and uh, we make sure the stakeholders are totally bought in uh, before we move ahead. And, and that's that's kind of our process. Mm. Okay. Uh, in, actually, in terms of the projects that uh, uh, the labs that Refinitiv was working on previously, and then now since the rebrand to Altec Labs, what has this meant uh, with input from uh, Altec? And in, in terms of like projects going forward, I mean, are, would it be, oh, when you look at projects, would it be like, okay, it fits into the data analytics part, or it fits into the capital markets part, or it fits, in, fits into the post-trade part, or is there like a lot of, I guess, interwoven areas that, you know, uh, you could work on with together? So I think the approach, and this is, you know, my, my approach to innovation is you have to look at each area and go, you know, what, what are the particular needs, right? So I think, as I said, in when we've talked to post-trade, you know, what are your particular needs there and how do we help you there? Look, at some point, there's there's obviously going to be projects where we can really bring the full power of the group together on particular projects. But first of all, you know, I think it's a bit of a, a bit of a cliche, but you want to find some quick wins, right? You want to find, you know, the, the, the concept of this kind of lab team is, is new. So how do we find identify some quick wins? Um, and then obviously our background in DNA means we're always going to be thinking about where we can bring in that data, that analytics aspect um, into um, into those projects. But yeah, we, we work very, very closely with the heads of strategy for each of the business divisions and sort of work out you know, what their priorities are and where we can help try and find some quick wins. So our refinitive projects have kind of um, obviously we don't work on things forever. We, we try and finish things off and, and hand them over. So that's happening. And then as as we uh, have have capacity, we sort of look at, you know, what's the best idea to work on across all three uh, across all three divisions. OK, uh, so those that uh, are in the process of handing over or, uh, or have maybe recently been handed over, uh, I guess, to the business lines. Um, mm -hmm. uh, what are some examples of those? I mean, in terms of uh, if, if you could share uh, what projects were those? Sure. So we've had um, maybe a couple to, to to mention. So one that we have worked on recently is uh, building a market impact analytics for the, the equity market 
uh, for pre-trade pre-trade market impact uh, analysis, and that was with our um, our equities uh, trading team. Uh, and there, we took a standard market impact model, and we tried to build it into a modern uh, uh, data science pipeline, together with the, the product team that was going to pick it up. And then we gradually kind of uh, developed a machine learning model uh, for market impact. We also developed a, a volume forecasting model. Um, and we we've th that's innovation right in itself. Process innovation of getting the product team to be familiar with sort of modern uh, machine learning pipelines. I think also distribution innovation and in that the target is. Not necessarily like our core uh, workspace desktop, but it's also our our sort of uh, the codebook environment that sits alongside our desktop so that rather than being a, a fixed analytic that a customer can see, it's completely transparent to them in codebook in a, a Jupyter Hub type environment and they can actually um, see the analytics. They can actually add their own uh, features to those analytics. So it's a more open way of delivering the analytics. And um, yeah, that's been a really, really interesting project. Um, where we've brought in our historical tick data, real-time data, streaming data as well. So that's a recent project that's this kind of wrapped up. Um, and I think that will be available to, to customers uh, in, in the near future. Okay, sorry. Um, um, so um, that sounds really cool. Uh, I want to expand on that a little bit actually. So like this is a market impact analytics for pre-trade and analysis, right? I mean, could you perhaps delve into how it actually works, what it would look like or what would what would it allow traders to do, basically? Uh, and in terms of how you came about, you know, developing that machine learning model, what I, I guess what uh, techniques did you use to input that? I mean, that allows for this pre-trade uh, analysis. Yeah, so this is this is where I wish my, my data science team was joining me in the podcast. So I, I, I'll, <laughs> I'll, if, if I get something wrong, uh, the, 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 please, please forgive me, guys. So. Um, the question is, how does somebody use it? So what you're going to be doing is when you're looking at, um, obviously you have a, you know, you have a choice, right? Which venue you use and which, uh, what volume, uh, the size of trade that you put through. And when you do that, your trade obviously has an impact in the market. So you, you want to understand what's the likely impact um, into the market, right? Because obviously for, for my cost analysis, my performance of, of, of my trade, I need to understand that. And so what the impact model gives you is, for any particular um, uh, stock, for any particular size of volume, any particular time of day, what is the likely impact that you're going to have when you make that trade in the market? So what the model does is pre-trade will tell you, um, based on the current volume that we're seeing in the on that stock historically, uh, what we're seeing in this at uh, this particular time, what is the what is the likely impact? And then you can decide your trading strategy accordingly. You could you could change perhaps change your order size change the timings, uh, change how you're structuring or, or laddering your your trades. So from the user point of view, it's a very healthy piece of information uh, for you to uh, to see that likely impact. Um, and so we've also built a nice dashboard so that you could basically pre-trade, you know, put in your um, just test, you know, what is what is likely to happen. So how do we get to that point? Well, um, again, we, we used a very standard uh, model called the I-STAR model, which you know exists. Uh, it's been around for a long time. We used that as a baseline, and then we started introducing a machine learning-based uh, model uh, to predict the market impact. And so the usual sort of thing, you need a 
six months of historical data tick by tick uh, for for you know uh, we looked at S&P 500 we looked at I think Russell 1000 I think we looked at the, the Japanese market as well so we did this for a number of markets and you have all of the usual kinds of things right market open market closes slight strangeness around how the exchanges report particular kinds of trades you have to unpick all of that to understand and build your model and then applied the, the machine learning we used a number of different techniques and we ended up using um, uh, a neural net actually uh, which gave us really good performance um, and you know we measure the performance in a number of a number of different ways uh, to see you know, across those different markets across different market conditions you know which model performed well and one of the things we really thought about was well that's great for us as data scientists what we love to see you know a nicely performing model but a trader doesn't really care what model is being used they want to understand like what is this telling me so we spent a lot of time user experience interviewing uh, customers uh, uh, thinking about how they might want to interact with this and so we gave them a dashboard that's very transparent in terms of here's what's happening uh, here's how the, the well, here's what the model is telling you so if uh, the model is telling you that you know the stock uh, is sort of moving into a higher market impact range uh, the model is predicting that that it would kind of tell you that right so you can see as the day evolves right why this 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 stock is moving around so visually representing it versus just like a number in a you know in a in a dashboard um so yeah it's really interesting we used we used amazon SageMaker as our machine learning pipeline and and we're really happy with with that and you know in terms of ml ops really thinking about we're going to need We've got a volume prediction model. We have these market impact models, different model for every exchange, pot potentially different models for different um, market conditions. So you need a way to, to manage and develop and iterate um, those models going forward. Um, and so again, we were thinking about creating that, that modern um, ML pipeline. Oh, that's really interesting. Uh, so, so you, you say that this is going to be uh, available to clients uh, very soon. I mean, could you reveal when that uh, when when they'll be able to have this? Well, I'll probably check with the product team, but I, th I think it should be available uh, Q1 next year um, within within Codebook uh, within Workspace. But um, there's part of a whole suite of of analytics we're providing around trade performance analytics uh, for equities. So that's that's as part of that package release. So. Uh, we need to come back and confirm exactly when that is. Maybe we can come back and, and talk more about it then. <laughs> that sounds good. Okay, uh, so just very quickly before I, I want I want to uh, talk about some of a report that you guys uh, came up with just re very recently. But before that, moving forward, what 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 is the labs uh, you know focusing on? Um, are, are there areas of uh, very high priority that you know will benefit the firm internally and and your clients too? I mean, maybe particularly in in the post trade space, since you know now clearly <laughs> you are in the post trade space as well. So. Uh, yeah. So I, I think priority, I mean, sustainable finance is absolutely a massive priority. And as you know, we just launched our sustainable finance unit in Singapore. Mm. Um, very exciting uh, work that's being done there. Gr really amazing team that we brought together. Uh, great collaboration with the Monetary Authority of Singapore and, and um, you know, more collaboration coming with, with clients in, in the region. So I think that's a big focus. And I think you know, it's a big focus for our firm generally, right? We have great um, sustainable finance work happening with uh, 
our FTSE Russell team. We've got stuff going on in, in green bonds. We've got, um, you know, our, our core of ESG data. There's all kinds of things going on, and we're, we're really putting a lot of uh, focus on that. Uh, I think other areas we will be focusing on include, um, as I said, uh, digital assets uh, and thinking about that and, and how we bring, um, you know, how we think about that as, as LSEG as a very trusted uh, a provider of market infrastructure. How can we uh, help be part of that um, sort of revolution that's taking place around, around digital assets? Um, and again, helping our, our index business, our index business, which is, um, you know, going from sort of strength to strength. And we've got a number of projects with them where we're bringing some of our, our NLP and, and uh, skills that we have, uh, our text analytics skills, uh, and bringing that to bear with with our uh, with our indices. So that's in the near term, some focus there. We've done some great work on uh, foreign exchange as well on FX. So FX um, impact analysis and, uh, um, you know, we're really looking to see how we can kind of uh, develop that further on the Refinitiv and on the capital market side. So lots of things going on. I mean, in terms of focus, as I said, right, sustainable finance, digital assets, and then uh, you know, just doing more, more text analytics, I think. I feel like if I just touch on each one of those topics, this podcast would be at least two hours long. <laughs> That's probably right. That's probably right. So we'll save that conversation for another time, but you'll be sure that uh, uh, I, I will be in touch. <laughs> okay. Oh, well, very, very recently, uh, you guys actually released a, a 2021 uh, AI ML report. I think this is the third uh, annual report that you've conducted. Um, and there are some interesting points there. Uh, number one of which is uh, one of the highlights from the report is uh, that deep learning is now the favorite favorite type of uh, AI ML, and about eighty four percent of firms are applying applying it. I, I found this really interesting because um, a lot of firms, a lot of financial services firms, you know, are kind of like putting themselves out there as kind of, uh, you know, machine learning magicians in particularly in the back office, uh, as also as well as, as in the front office. But, you know, some of those claims seem to be, uh, th those claims of using sophisticated ML are, uh, seem to be more like marketing than true ML, a true use of ML. Um, so the fact that deep learning was mentioned uh, and, and it being a sophisticated, you know, uh, type of ML uh, was quite interesting to see that this is now the favorite type of AI ML that is used. So uh, could you explain, I mean, how how is this now the favorite type of AI ML in the firms that, and, and people that you uh, you guys yeah. surveyed, I guess, for this, uh, this report? So I think um, there's a few things underneath those numbers. So you just said um, that there's a lot of marketing around uh, machine learning versus the reality. I think one of the things the survey shows is that kind of maybe there's like a split, right? 50% of firms are saying, yeah, we've applied it in one area uh, and, and we're experimenting in other areas. And I think that's, you know, 45% are, are saying, well, we're actually applying it in many, many areas. And so I think exactly right. I think you see there's a split between people who kind of, yeah, it works well, maybe in a traditional area where they've always done a lot of quantitative work. Whereas the other half of the industry is kind of like, hey, we've moved beyond that now. We're kind of expanding it out. So I think that's a really interesting uh, split, and I think that's the kind of key finding of the report. On deep learning specifically, I think 
there's a couple of things going on there. One is that it's just much, much easier to use deep learning than it ever has been before. So I was chatting to my team last night about this and, you know, with a couple of lines of code, you can access, uh, you know, um, you know, you can go to Hugging Face, uh, and you or you can use um, TensorFlow, uh, TensorHub, right, to get access to uh, deep learning models. Very straightforward, right? That you can do that. So, ease of access uh, and ability to run that. I don't have to have any specialist hardware. I don't have to have we um, potentially even understand exactly everything that's going on in that in that network to use it. And uh, and the reason people want to use it is because it gives you better performance. Um, now, saying that, where does it give you better performance? It gives you performance in the areas that have been growing, which is text analytics. So the rise and rise of working with unstructured data goes hand in hand with the desire to use deep learning because of the deep learning, these large language models are giving you that higher performance. So I think that's probably what's driving it to a certain extent. There probably is a little bit of, you know, maybe if I even don't need deep learning, I'm, I'm using it. Uh, because I want to say I'm using it. Or as I said before, we on market impact, we used um, a neural network. It was a pretty shallow neural network. It's maybe four layers, but is that deep learning? Not really, it's not maybe deep enough, but maybe people are saying that when they're in the, in the survey response, they're saying, yes, I've used that. So I'm calling it deep learning. But I think the one thing we do see is we talk to some pioneers in the space amongst our top tier clients. I think they see deep learning moving from being, with, you know, obviously it was with images, now it's with text. They see it moving into the time series area, um, you know, before too long. So I think that's going to be an interesting one. And, and so I think it will continue to grow. But I think the, the fact that you are, I mean, sure, it does give a better performance and it definitely is more accessible these days uh, or in recent times. But the, the fact that um, you don't know exactly what happens, perhaps like by each step, you know, wouldn't that present a, a, a challenge uh, or, or a problem for particularly for uh, financial firms? I mean, even if it's to do with tax analytics. Um, I think that's an interesting, it's a really interesting observation. It's a good question. Um, I think that more and more techniques are going to um, come forward and more tooling come forward to help with that explanatory uh, point um, to explain the models um, uh, and, what, and what's happening. Um, and I think you see that a little bit in the report in terms of people, you know, with model governance wanting to have some transparency uh, and understanding uh, and, and looking at that. So that's true. Uh, I think I think you're right that it's, you know, the thing is people care about performance, uh, right? If I'm going to get a better result. Also, there's a, these things are, are very freely available, right? So they're being tested, they're being, there's papers written on them. There's a lot of commentary, there's a lot of analysis on it. So I think, you know, you have to realize that because you're using underlying models that are the rest of the industry is using, that there is a level of, um, you know, validation that's taking place, you know, throughout the community. Mm. Okay. Well, another interesting highlight from the report is that uh, you you do you uh, the report actually says like uh, data quality and availability are still issues, which is uh, not a surprise at all. <laughs> uh, but the the thing that surprised me is that you mentioned uh, technology is becoming more of a barrier to adopting AI ML techniques. 
I mean, could you explain how so and, and why? Yeah, that was, we did not expect that finding. Um, so, you know, I, I can sort of, um, I can't explain exactly why the survey respondents, you know, answer, answered in that way. Um, my guess is, and this is, you know, probably a sort of educated guess just from, from talking, about, as I said, the firms that are, like, when you're doing ML work or any, any quant work and you're doing it, you know, on-prem, my own box, one particular product, one particular area, right? You control all this, this stuff, right? And it's nice and, 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 and massive. When you want to move to scale and you're saying, right, I'm going to have different teams of data scientists, seven, eight teams of data scientists working in lots of different areas using cloud environments that have a lot of different, you know, aspects, you know, in terms of security and storage and uh, uh, the, the model building, the model inferencing. Now I want to have a maybe a model governance approach, and I want to manage the deployment and maintenance and and uh, uh, so thinking about scaling from where firms have been to to this great bigger scale. You still have different technology headaches, right? You also have there's more choice now, right? So you can choose any of the big cloud providers. You can you know Snowflake came through on our report. There's a hugging face, we just mentioned, you know, different techniques coming in, lots of new technology providers, lots of amazing data science platforms coming through. So picking and selecting which technology stack to use, I think is also a headache as well. And some, we just mentioned some of these deep learning models. They're pretty big, right? I mean, I think we did a project, I think we had seven or eight models that were 10 gigabytes each, right, within those models. They're large, it gives you another set of headaches. So I think as you get more advanced, you hit into some of these additional technology uh, challenges. And I think that could be what's happening in, in the survey response here. That's interesting. Okay. And I also found it interesting, another point that is interesting, <laughs> uh, that now the, the, U, the US has actually lost the lead on uh, AI and ML. And now, I mean, EMEA and Asia Pacific have uh, really caught up. How, how do you see the level of innovation mm -hmm. kind of playing mm -hmm. out between these two regions, you know, versus the US? You know, I mean, yeah, previously, obviously, a, a lot of these, the, the work in AI and ML had been, I guess, uh, spearheaded by the US. So how how is that changing? Yeah, yeah. Well, I think it's a really interesting sort of geopolitical, you know, thing as well, because if you look at the volume of research papers being produced in, in Asia, so any of the major AI conferences, the volume of papers coming from China is just dwarfs everybody else. So the massive investment that, that China has put into uh, technical institutes, AI, ML, and that focus, you know, you know, the, the undergrads and postdocs and grads from, from three, four years ago are now entering in the workforce, right? And they are, you know, pushing the boundaries. Again, you also see the maturity of, uh, you know, Alibaba and Tencent as capabilities and fantastic. I mean, the incredible innovation that's happening in in Asian finance. Um, you know, so so many you know fintechs uh, growing there. So I, I imagine there's not really that much of a surprise, right? There's a kind of a bubble. Maybe you know that investment from three, four, you know, five years ago is now coming through into into finance. So I think that could be. Uh, you know what's ha happening here, um, and as I said, the, the ease of the ease of doing this work is only going to continue. So, of course, the, I think it was only a matter of time before um, 
Emu at Asia Pacific, you know, caught up. Uh, I think I guess the interesting thing is we, what, what happens next year. Right? Will we'll Asia Pacific you know, get into the lead? <laughs> okay. Uh, just uh, as a last question, perhaps. I mean, in terms of uh, machine learning models or techniques, you know, which area do you see, uh, or which ones do you see, you know, that are up and coming, and that uh, you know firms will really start to look into very, uh, uh, I, I guess, very seriously. That's a great question. So I think the answer to the question is what are the problems that finance now thinks are possible to solve or needs to solve? Mm. And so if I look at it on sustainable finance, you know, we want lots and lots of new data sources coming in that tell us what is going on in the world around carbon emissions or methane or, uh, you know, biodiversity, you know, deforestation, whatever. So you know, if I think about image analysis, and uh, uh, you know, that's obviously very important for, for that kind of work. Um, I think all of us have got very comfortable with um, Siri and Alexa and um, voice recognition, and I think you're starting to see some of that coming into into finance in a in a big way. So I think there will be growth in in speech to text, and that's an area that we've also we are also investing in, and yeah. so I think. You know, I think some of these areas that maybe the more challenging areas um, where you've got very on even more the data is even more unstructured, but now the approaches and techniques can tackle those. I think that's where you'll see see some interesting work. Um, I think you, you also said on those deep learning models, I think you'll see more and more interpretability of those models coming through, right? So data science on the data science to understand like what's <laughs> happening inside inside the models so that and that's already you know very active um, market and lots of players coming into that space so yeah plenty there's, there's always a new frontier always a new <laughs> frontier just when you think you've, you've learned it there's, there's something different comes along so um, uh, excellent uh, I look forward to hearing more of those new frontiers in, in the near future but well well thanks very much Jeff for joining us today on the the podcast I really appreciate you taking the time out of your day to, to talk to me no problem absolute pleasure uh, thanks appreciate it